not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven them, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. After the sermon, let's sing hymn 51, stanza 1, 2, and 3. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the minister that I grew up with, who also happened to become professor of homiletics at Theological Seminary, said to me, you should preach on the sin against the Holy Spirit or the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit once a year, every year. Why? Because so many people have trouble with this. They are afraid that they have committed the unforgivable sin. Now, in the past, some people thought that this would be a sexual sin, maybe premarital sex or being divorced. Now, when you hear that the sin against the Holy Spirit, Jesus says that anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. That can take away some people's sense of the love and the presence of God. I'm not kidding or exaggerating. I have spoken with teenagers who were convinced that they had committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. I've talked with people at the final moments of their lives. They were convinced they had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. They were not sure whether they were guilty or not. This is a deeply disturbing topic for many people. So without a question, it is a difficult passage. I don't do this often, but right now I'd like to quote two scholars who dealt with this passage just to show you how troubling this is one scholar said, as it stands, Matthew 12, verse 32, has no obvious reason for this. None. Another scholar wrote that he finds no explanation satisfactory for this passage. Now, these are experts in the Bible. They said, this passage has no meaning. We're stumped. It's unexplainable. Well, that's unexpected because we know that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for training, for correction, and so on. Also, within the context, you see how important it is. Jesus Christ has healed uh, a, a demon-possessed man, driven out that demon, and the Pharisees said, is that not the power of the devil? That's a serious matter. And in our text, our Lord Jesus Christ is correcting that accusation. Before this sermon is out, I, I hope to make clear to you exactly what the sin or the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is. I will convince you that if you're worried about it, you haven't committed it. At the same time, we're not going to be let off the hook if we realize that this sin is a possibility. And we do not respond to those clear, positive ways of being able to so let's look at our theme and heads, and I apologize that they sound pretty negative and come straight out of the text. 
that it will be far more positive than the first step. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. There's three things. He who is not with me is against me. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven him, but not the one who speaks against the Holy Spirit. We'll start with our first point. Jesus' words in verse 30, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Obviously, is a response to what has just happened and been said. We read in verses 22 and 24 that Jesus healed a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. Now there's a, a twofold response to this. There's one positive, one negative. We read in verse 23 that all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? And in verse 24 we read, Pharisees heard this and said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So basically, the Jews were saying, could this be the son of David? And the Pope had to say, could this be the son of God? Could this be the Messiah? Is this the promised one? It's a very positive response for the Pharisees to say, oh, no, no, no. He is driving out demons by the, by the power of Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub literally means Lord of the Flies or Lord of the Manure Pile. You see, the Jews, they, of course, hated and despised Satan. They called him Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, Lord of the Manure Pile. And they were saying, Jesus is indeed the Lord of the Manure Pile. Whatever he says or whatever he does, he can do it to you. And they were astonished. Now, to understand what's going on here, we need to realize that in, in the Jewish world, in the world of our brothers and sisters at that time, the worldview was basically this. Things are either good or evil. It's either from God or it's from the devil. So what the Pharisees were saying here, they were not just, they were not just being catty. This was not just some theological or religious propaganda. They were being very logical. They said of Jesus, it is not from God and it is from the devil. They were dead serious when they said it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. In a sense, they were rescuing God's point. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ doesn't deny the logic that things are either from God or from the devil. No in between. There's no neutrality, and there's no sitting on the fence. Jesus agrees with that. But he says to the Pharisees, you think I'm from the devil, but you are from Satan. You are always condemning people. You condemn the whole pagan world. You condemn many of your fellow Jews. You condemn me when it's actually a question to be looking at yourself Jesus says in verse 28, but if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Those words are riveting. John the Baptist had already said the kingdom of God is near. Jesus started his ministry by saying the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is the God of the Bible says. The kingdom of God means that you get liberated from the power of Satan. Your sins are washed away. And, and you are born again to live a, a new life for the praise and the glory of God. 
prepared to hang Mount Hawk because by the Spirit of God, I drive out these demons. I have found this strong man. I have found Satan. I drive out demons. The kingdom of God is here. Give it to the meek. I will die for your sins. I will rise again from the dead. And I will lead you on into the kingdom of God. And your sins are washed away. You are born again. Brothers and sisters, that was good news for the people back then. It's also tremendously good news and relevant for us today. One thing we need to realize, the Lord Jesus Christ made it clear. There is no Greek baptism. It is either for me or against me. Everything in your life is not neutral. You think your marriage is neutral? or your family life, or your education, or your work, what you watch on TV, what you look at on the Internet, that's not neutral. Jesus Christ says, whatever you do, whatever you think, whatever you say, either you're for me or you're against me. Either your life is a fragrance that goes up to God, or it's a stink follow Beelzebub, lords of the Ewer pile, you will go to hell. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Look at me, says Jesus Christ. I drive out demons. The kingdom of God is here. Are you in or are you out? Some people struggle with this, struggle with Jesus saying, he is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters, for the very simple reason that within the church, perhaps in our own family, if you're a child or a brother or sister, or even a parent, struggling in their faith, their faith is very weak, and it may seem like there is no faith at all. Is Jesus Christ saying, if you're neutral and you're weak, that you have no part in me? Brothers and sisters, please don't think that our Lord Jesus Christ There's no temporizing. There's no 
Now, it gets a little complicated because this particular logic here, Jesus Christ says, every sin is forgivable except this one. Now, how can every sin be forgivable except one time? If you keep that question in mind and answer that by the end of the sermon, you really figure out what the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is. And we're talking here about forgiveness. And forgiveness has to be the greatest mystery and miracle of the world. God created man in his own image, and man would live forever in a relationship and friendship with his God, his righteousness and his holiness. But man sins. And it's not, see, look what I did type in the sin. It was a deliberate, hostile act against God when Adam and Eve fell into sin. You can imagine that God has every right to say, you know, forget this business of this earth and this humanity. Just wash it all away and I'll make a new start. No. The grace and the love of God created man in his own image. And it's sent by his son to take all their sins upon himself and to die for that on the cross of Golgotha so that whoever believes in Jesus Christ can sin and walk free. We read in Isaiah 1, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Those words are real and they are true. Look at David. Adultery and murder. Look at Peter. Three times publicly denied his Lord. Look at Paul, the hostility and the murderous attack on the early Christian church. Look at the backstabbing. Look at the prostitutes who came to Jesus. And these people with blood on their hands, with an immorality that is as rampant as, as, as you could get out of it, they came to Jesus. God had mercy on Peter and their sins were washed away. David made as white as the snow snow. Now listen carefully to this section in Hebrews. Any sin that you commit, no matter how bad or how often, any sin that you commit is forgivable except this one here. Now you might say, hold on, there's that one sin against the Holy Spirit that's not forgivable, but I'll repeat it. Any sin that you commit, no matter what kind of sin, if you ask for forgiveness, you will be forgiven. Any sin. That's tremendous. This is the, the mystery, the miracle of, of our religion. Because we have our sins. Some of us are haunted by them. Maybe as a, as a teenager, you were engaged in sexual immorality. Maybe we were very abusive to others around us. Maybe we're haunted by a marriage that has soured because of our loving abusive spouse. Maybe a dad or a mom or a grandparent died alone. We wouldn't make a business if we were angry with them. Maybe our lives have been always all about making money materialism rather than serving Jesus Christ. Now we're not going to say right now, well, those things don't don't matter because they're serious things. The consequences of your actions, that is something that you have to live with 
through the rest of this is that our Lord Jesus Christ has come to this world and has confessed our sins. I will wash them away. They'll be cast into the depths of the sea, never to be held against you, ever, ever again. They'll be as white as snow or as pure wool. Jesus even says in verse 32, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Now, Jesus is the Son of Man. And there were a lot of people who spoke against him and sinned against him. Think of that rich young ruler. Jesus said, tell everyone, come and follow me. Because you're a sinner and a criminal. Think of all those thieves who are screaming on balls of thunder, crucify him. Think of the priests and the the Pharisees who were so intent on murdering Jesus Christ. Whole sin against the Son of Man. And what do we read on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2? Peter was preaching, and he said, Jesus, whom you crucified, died and rose again. And we read that the Jews were touching the hearts and cried out to Peter, Brother, make no mistake. Peter's response was, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Very clear there that if you sin against the Son of Man, you will be forgiven. Never to be held held against you. Absolutely free free indeed. That's a tremendous comfort for us, brothers and sisters, because within our church community, perhaps within our own family, we have a brother or sister, a child, a dear friend, services, but leading a simple lifestyle of faithfulness. Small or what is an opportunity that the Holy Spirit can still work in their hearts and bring them to repentance. There will be more joy in heaven. The angels will sing for joy more over the one that was lost and found than over the 99 that were never found. We can sin against Jesus Christ, but if we ask for forgiveness, he will forgive. That brings us to our final point where Jesus Christ says the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven in heaven. The question in our minds might be, well, why is the sin against the Son of Man forgivable and, and the sin against the Holy Spirit unforgivable? How do we understand what Jesus Christ is saying here? Now, to to answer that, brothers and sisters, let me take a little example from everyday life. If you are planning to set up a business, and you ask for advice about setting up a business, an expert will tell you that there are three things to keep in mind. First thing is location. Second thing is location. Third thing is location. Same thing with the Bible passage. Location, 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 everywhere. Important here with our text. And we've seen it, we've talked about it a couple times already in the sermon. The context is Jesus Christ drove out a demon. He has found the strong man that Satan himself is. He shows that he is pulverizing the kingdom of darkness. And as he says, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come. 
it's here. In me. People will see it. Could this be the son of David? That's what Samson is asking. Could this be the son of God? This Christ, this the promised one that he saw. It was so clear. The light was shining in darkness. Clear to everybody that Jesus is the son of God who has come to save sinners. The Pharisees saw it as well. And they told everybody Beelzebub that he drives out demons. They didn't say that, brothers and sisters, because they didn't know better. They knew who Jesus really was. In Mark 12, Jesus tells the parable of the wicked tenant. And the wicked tenant, they see those servants come and they beat them up and kill them. And finally the son, the owner comes. And they beat him and they kill him because they don't believe in him. Jesus will say, you Pharisees, you know who I am. You know him. You just don't like him. You don't like the food that I bring you because you didn't repent and believe in what is brothers and sisters, is the blasphemy for sin against the Holy Spirit. Are we clear here? Sin against the Holy Spirit is when you know the truth. The Holy Spirit has been knocking at the door of your heart going, this is Jesus, and you see him, and you know him. But I don't want him. Sin against the Holy Spirit is when people think they know it and deliberately reject it. We may think here of a similar warning in Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because through their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public ridicule. People have tasted the goodness and the grace of God. They have seen, they have understood the work of the Holy Spirit. But they have refused to go there where they know it. God will never forgive them. It's not because God can't, but God won't if they don't repent. If you don't repent, if you don't confess your sin, if you don't say very clearly in your heart,
will remember a time where you could say of Canada, this is a Christian nation. Most of our neighbors belong to a church. Sunday was a day of rest and worship to almost everyone. In the public schools, you had Bible readings for more experienced Bible explanation stories. It's generally understood that God is the creator, the redeemer, and the sanctifier of life. How that has changed over the decades, over the last half century. Today, you have people like Christopher Hitchens, who's now dead, but Christopher Hitchens was an anti-theist who made it a, a, a program redesigned to reach out to the world and convince them that God is nonsense. He said, you, you know, you used to have an atheist, and an atheist is somebody who says, I don't believe in God, but I wish I could if there was evidence. An anti-theist is somebody who believes that there's no evidence for such a person to live. People like Christopher Hitchens and others are, are making great inroads, especially into the youth of today, convincing them that the God of the scriptures is obscene, is tyrant, who indiscriminately puts some people in heaven and puts the rest of them in hell. Basically, they say that, the, that, that Christianity is a totalitarian belief that, that corrupts personal self-esteem, corrupts ethics, and corrupts the whole scientific system. I'm not exaggerating when I say that. I have been dealing with teenagers in young adults in recent years, and I can't get over it. What they dare to say about God, they grew up in church, they've heard the gospel, but I know I'm not God. I don't want anything to do with some people in heaven and indiscriminately for no reason throws the rest of humanity into hell. And, and we all need to be aware that that is the culture, that is the, the secular education system in which we live. And if you sin against the Holy Spirit, you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you grow up in the gospel and you hear about Jesus Christ and end up on especially when children and young people in the moment. And we understand very clearly that Jesus Christ is sitting across the table and knocking on the door of your heart. And he is not different from anyone else. Let's pray. I would like to, to leave you with this word of encouragement. As you are afraid and worried that perhaps you have committed a sin against the Holy Spirit, I can assure you that you have not. The very fact that you are concerned about this and struggling with it shows that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. And we remember what we read in verse 20 from Isaiah about a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. And that's a quotation from Isaiah 42, a bruised reed who will not break and a smoldering wick who will not snuff out. If you feel that you are weak in faith, that you have not really committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes you think to yourself, the things of this world are more attractive to you than the things of the Spirit. Kneel before your Lord Jesus Christ and let him have his way with you. Let's pray.
work in my heart by the power of your spirit. Find me in all loving and forgiving kindness. You will receive me. You will grow. You will grow with me. You will gather with me within the church and within your life to be a light to the world around me and to show that there is a kingdom of God that is both breathtakingly beautiful through the one and only heart of